You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. I just looked, by the way, at the uh, episode count. I am just shy of 200 episodes. So I have said that opening line 200 fucking times. (laughs) So do you hold the weekly or... I try to do weekly. I try to do weekly. Yeah. Anyway, this is Stephen Bradford Long. And before we get started with Lucian Greaves, uh, I have to thank my patrons, as always. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors, and I could not do this show without them. They maintain my debilitating content creation addiction. And believe me, it is absolutely fucking debilitating. It takes up hundreds of hours uh one show can take up to four or five hours a week to produce so i need all of the help i can get or else i'll end up on the street under a bridge sucking dicks for loose change nothing against that i just don't want to do that to fund my podcast oh okay you don't want to i was saying you could still do it (laughs) that's true i do i want to maybe just not under a bridge all right all right, so for this week, Go I have Out to- in the rain. <laughs> rain is fine. Rain is fun. All right, so for this week, I have to thank Michael Samael, Nix Ward, and FV. Thank you so much. I truly could not do this show without you. And for listeners who are interested, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for a dollar a month or $5 a month. You get extra content every single week, including my House of Heretics podcast with the former Salvation Army officer turned Christian heretic, Timothy McPherson. We talk about various things, news, theology, Christianity, Satanism, philosophy, meditation, whatever is on our mind that week, very often from our uh, dissonant perspectives. He is a Christian. I am a Satanist. It's always a good time. Patrons also get to listen in and join in on the conversation via the chat every Wednesday morning. It is always fun. All right. So if that interests you, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. There is also a link in the show notes. Lucian Greaves, co-founder and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. Hello. Welcome back. Well, good to be back. Thank you. Yeah. A lot has happened since we last talked on this show. And Where would you like to begin? Well, I, I would like to talk some about the arson attack at TST headquarters. Because we did, we did a show on your Patreon, and everyone can go listen to that, and everyone can also go give you money. So you don't have to suck dicks under a bridge. So uh, that is patreon.com forward slash Lucian Greaves. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And that said, I also leave my posts publicly available to people to see and, and hope they'll subscribe if they like the content. But if you can't pay, you can still can still enjoy the content if if that's something you like. You're such a better person than I am. 
Um, well, I, it's, I put it's up a, a risk. <laughs> it's, it's worked out so far. I didn't, I didn't notice when I went public like that, that it really impacted. Uh, well, that's good. Necessarily. Uh, I don't know now because it's been a while. Maybe I would do a lot better if I didn't do that, but, but it's working. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So everyone can go listen to that conversation that we had. And that we had that conversation, I think like a day after it happened. Yeah, it certainly wasn't very long afterwards. Yeah, it was like a day or two afterwards. And so it was still very fresh for me and for you and for everyone, for our entire religious community. So for people who aren't aware of what happened, go ahead and just kind of tell people the facts on the ground of of what happened that night. This was back in June, early June yeah. or May. Uh, yeah, I can't I, remember. I think so in a, in a guy, I'm, I'm terrible with the, the passage of time and keeping measure of it, but yeah, me too. Um, some guy in a t-shirt that just said God on it in bold letters uh, just came <laughs> marching up to the front door of the satanic temple headquarters in Salem. One night he was wearing a baby blue backward baseball cap and he threw what I still believe is butane on the front door and on the front deck area, which is all made of wood and lit it on fire. Um, I saw it on the security cameras uh, not long after it happened, but the fire was already blazing. The response time was very quick from the police and the fire department and the entire neighborhood, honestly. And we got the to put the fire out before it made it inside. And uh, we, we sustained significant damage to the front of the house, had to lose the original doors on that old house and probably have to replace the whole front deck area. We have reopened for a business. We have kind of an ad hoc front entrance in there now. Um, looks pretty good as far as ad hoc temporary entrances go, uh, match the paint to, you know, the, the paint around it and things like that. Uh, turns out there was water damage from the fire hoses and I still don't really know what that all amounts to, but that's, that's all being worked out. But, um, it's, it's, it's jarring, you know, uh, we get threats all the time, but it's still jarring when somebody comes up with that kind of audacity and this guy, he, he lit the place on fire and then he kind of did a loop around, the block to come back and watch the blaze from across the street. A lot of people are surprised about that. Arsonists typically do want to watch the blaze if they're really bitten by the pyromania bug. You know, it's not uncommon that they come to the scene and start watching it. But this dipshit didn't even bother to take off the baseball cap or, you know, put a sweater on over the T-shirt or anything. And by the time he had looped the... Uh, the neighborhood we had already given still images to the police from the security camera and uh they they arrested him immediately uh he referred to he referred to it himself as a hate crime and uh expressed his uh disregard for any human life that might be inside the building saying that he didn't quite care whether they were injured or killed because he believed that they were satan worshipers and worthy of being killed. As far as we can tell, he wasn't attached to any larger organization or to a church that was compelling him to do any of these things. He had a lot of different priors, about half a dozen, and some of those including uh, little arson attacks. So he was clearly a deranged guy. 
doesn't seem to be part of a larger movement. But of course, there's a lot of hysteria now and polarization and extreme rhetoric floating around. So it still puts us in a very insecure environment overall. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's scary. During our conversation on your Patreon about it, I was I was so furious about it because the the Salem headquarters it is just a building but it's also kind of a a significant religious space for our community you know it's it's uh for lack of a better term sacred uh in that way and it you know it it there there's the gorgeous art there there's the Baphomet statue there there are people who uh, work there. So, you know, it's, it's an important space. And there was just this, this kind of deep feeling of rage at a significant religious space being violated in that way. And I was super mad about that because I feel like it's pretty core to TST's tenets to never infringe upon the rights and space of others. Uh, but we live in a culture where others could do that to us. And so I came into that conversation really mad. And you kind of talked me down <laughs> from that. You you kind of talked me down from that rage because I, I went into that conversation basically saying, and I said this at the beginning of that conversation, you know, it, this is about pluralists against theocrats. And you, you said, no, this is more complicated. It, the, this guy is not representative of Christians. This guy is, you know, we don't really know much about him. Tell, tell, talk some more about that, of your thoughts about what is, a, what, is, what is a healthy way to respond to this. And I'm not saying that anger isn't healthy. I mean, anger is completely understandable and reasonable and human and acceptable. And there's, it's a feeling, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, it's a feeling feelings are neutral, but in terms of how, how we collectively respond to something like this, what are your thoughts on, on how to respond well and healthily, especially in a culture that's already so polarized? Yeah. I I think the knee jerk reaction is to try to categorize this guy in, especially you know, when he comes up wearing a God T-shirt, it, it yeah. doesn't seem irrational to say that this is what you get from extreme Christians or whatever. But when you look at the background and see that this guy had priors, including, uh, you know, throwing a burning flag on a cop car. And, you know, at that point, when he did that, like two years ago, you could see commentary from people saying, yeah, fuck the police or whatever. And yeah. And I don't, and obviously this guy isn't the, uh, the liberal hero that those crowd, that, that, that crowd took him for either, you know? So I don't think we should give him the credit of putting deep thought into the justifications he's using to enact whatever antisocial behavior he's exhibiting. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's deeper problems there and a lot of people use whatever they can to justify these types of things that they want to do. And, and I think it's, it's, it's always a mistake to give them the credit of a larger philosophical position that they might not be representative of at all. I think sometimes when we see warring factions out on the streets too, 
like when you see Port, uh, Portland protests, you know, and you sometimes see Antifa versus Proud Boy militant Nazis or whatever. I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that on either end there you would have people easily changing sides of the divide yeah. just to be yeah. somewhere where they can punch somebody and, and break windows and cause havoc, you know. And, and I think it's just a real mistake to give them the uh, the protection of a higher moral standing that they probably just don't have, you know, and and we shouldn't be. I just don't feel like whichever side of the divide we're on, we should be that accommodating to to our vandals and our criminals and, and other people who are, you know, m- maybe just happy to cause destruction and, and harm in other people's lives. Right. And if there is an ideology there, maybe it's just a cover for kind of a deeper antisocial impulse or what have you. Right. I I mean, I'm not going to pretend we're never going to see that on the Satanist side either. You know, I I see dumb comments on social media from people saying like, well, well, you got to burn down a church and things like that. And it's like, no, that's that's not the way. And that's that's absolutely not not the way. Well, and, you know, I was just thinking about this listening to you talk, how I have to take uh, annoyingly. It's always so annoying to take the higher road. But, you know, I don't like it when some lunatic, some some lunatic who calls himself a Satanist is suddenly held up as representative of Satanists. Like right, I don't, that happens. That happens that, all the time. That happens yeah. all the time. I mean, here in North Carolina, there was this guy named Pazuzu who uh, he was he was right. out in uh, Winston Salem, I think, in in the Winston Salem area, and he, uh, I mean, he was awful. He was he was absolutely fucking monstrous and did horrible, horrible things, and he called himself a Satanist and. And every every religion has people like that. Every religion will will have dangerous, deranged people like that. And I don't like it when Richard fucking Ramirez, the Night Stalker, is held up as a representative of Satanists because he called himself a Satanist or someone like Pazuzu. And that therefore means that when this happens, when a when someone comes wearing a God t-shirt and tries to commit an act of arson, I, I need to equally... Um, I need to I need to adhere to that same principle and and practice some charity and say maybe maybe this guy has other stuff going on. I don't know what his ideology is just because he's wearing a god t-shirt. I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know a thing about him. Right, and his, his ideology might change day by day depending on what he feels gives him that kind of carte blanche to act in such a thoughtless way to act upon his pyromaniacal impulses or whatever you know i was just really touched that the salem community uh came together really quickly in our defense and Mm -hmm. unambiguously you know stood by our side and the mayor released a statement you know almost immediately uh condemning the attack and you know that, that was really gratifying the real world was very uh was very nice about the whole thing it's it's uh, you got to give it a few days and be on social media before you see people uh denigrating us for for crying about it as i was seeing you know and we hadn't really said anything except you know to respond to press outreach and things like that but all of a sudden a narrative cohered that showed once again how 
how some people will just never take us seriously as a religious minority and just don't really understand what it means to be under threat of death and have people yeah. coming to burn your house down to the point where they still think we're getting a laugh out of all of this. Yeah, no, I mean, the the idea that there's anything ironic about my Satanism, I mean, it's, I mean, I've, I've ranted about that for years now, so I won't rant about it now. Talk some more about the response that you got from the Salem community. Did, did other religions in Salem react and how, how did they react? Were like, did any Christians and, and whatnot, how did they react? Well, unlike Boston, where if we have an event, you know, Catholics will come out in, in full regalia to, to protest, you know, Salem, which is not terribly far off, has a larger Unitarian population and they never really have a beef with us. I don't know if they reached out, but to be honest, there was a lot of outreach. So I'm sure mm -hmm. I missed, you know, uh, certain things. So I don't want to say that other religious groups did not, but, you know, no, nobody, nobody in Salem said a bad word and, and neighbors came out to express their support. Even city council members expressed their support. Wow. And, you know, the police are, are actually rather protective of us at this point. You know, we reported to them that I have a $100,000 bounty on me from that group of sovereign citizens, and they've been very vigilant around our property. And, you know, it's just, it's nice when you get that kind of serious response. And, and like I said, you know, it, it was within minutes that the, the there was full mobilization to the headquarters after this, this asshole dropped the match. Mm. How did you find out? Like, did you, did you, I think you said during our Patreon conversation that you just looked at the camera and there's just engulfed in flames. Well, on my phone, I get alerts and like the cameras will detect, like if a person comes on the property, it distinguishes the shapes, you know, and it'll even tell you that there's a person or activity. It's, if it's activity, it's usually, you know, maybe an animal runs by or a light goes on or something that, that triggers it. But, uh, you know, the, the, the alert went off on my phone and there was like 30 second to a minute delay to the point where I actually opened it. And then, you know, the camera was fully engulfed in flames at that point. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would be super scary. I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Uh, I mean, other than call the cops, which I guess is what you did. Um, and they had already been called, you know, the, the right. delay was, was very minimal and still uh, at the other end of 911, they were saying we've already got response team on the way. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like the response that, that you're practicing to this is a bit of, a bit of stoicism and, and being, uh, choosing to not jump to simple narratives even even in the face of a potentially really dangerous situation and uh, to not jump to to polarization. And I think that some some people who are new to my podcast and to TST might find that surprising because I think a lot of people on the outside look at TST as a as a very extreme group that is just pushing and trolling and, and so on and so forth. And I don't think that's correct. And uh, it, it sounds like what you are advocating is a more compassionate response to the situation. 
To be fair, I was on a different podcast recently that I don't think aired, and I expressed my desire to uh, to uh, beat Alex Jones till he shits himself. So hey, you, you know, know I, I me have, too. I me can too. Have that meat freak too. So, oh, I'm yeah. I am right there with you. I mean, especially right now in in this, I, especially right now in in this climate where it feels like just everything is falling apart it it feels like so much is up in the air and we can move on from the um the arson attack uh but it do you know of the the cost for repairs do you know like how much damage was actually done no i actually need to check in on that and see what insurance is covering and what you know a lot of people reached out offering support and it was hard to tell them what to do because i had no idea how these things sure, resolve themselves sure. and in we, we did have an a, a insurance assessor come out. And last I knew, you know, of course, uh, you know, there was the, the issue of the water damage and things like that. But I, I think it's I think it's resolved. I, I'll let you know if if there's more to be developed there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I still don't think we've we've talked to contractors about replacing the front wooden deck area, which my, it's my understanding that will have to replace the whole thing because the uh, support beams under it run parallel to the house and across the length of the entire thing. And they were right. you know, significantly eaten through by the fire and, and perhaps damaged by the, the water or whatever. But uh, we, we haven't really gotten to that point yet, but we're, it's nice that we're open for business. You know, Salem's rather a tourist town especially October is the peak season, but, and when it's not summertime, when it's not the warmer weather, which is a limited period of time and in Massachusetts, it's, it's dead, you know? So to be shut down, you know, if we were shut down through the rest of the summer, that would be catastrophic, but that's not the case. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm just so glad that no one was hurt and that response came as soon as they did. So about a week after the arson attack, Roe v. Wade was struck down. Um, right. A, a week or two a- after. I, I don't remember if, if it was a week or two after. It was sometime. Like you said, time time is warping. Right. It, <laughs> I can't tr- keep track of when anything happened. And, you know, I... Um, I'm cautious to talk about this because we're we're two cis dudes. We don't have uteruses. We we don't have any childbearing potential unless something truly, you know, unexpected and miraculous happens. Um and You know what? Fuck that. I, I'm I'm really sick of people bitching about that. It's like you you don't understand the dire situation you're in if you're going to shit on allies like that. And I am fucking sick of that at this point. I'm sick of people saying mm. you're the wrong person to jump in on defense of this. And we're hearing a lot of that now. And it just really does say to me that there are a lot of people who don't understand clearly the situation we're in. And I felt that at the point where we started getting a lot of criticism for having a First Amendment lawyer who had also who had also represented alt right clients and people saying that this Mark this thing was somehow a reflection of us and somehow this lawyer's clients were uh, you know indicative of the nature of TST in some way rather than indicative of what the job entails when you're a lawyer and sometimes if you're a criminal lawyer you defend criminals 
And if you're a First Amendment lawyer, you know, you are also going to defend, you know, odious speech. And it's about due process. It's about seeing what precedent is set and knowing exactly where the boundaries are. You know, it's uh, these are basic civics lessons that that seem to have eluded a lot of people. But when people were complaining that we accepted pro bono support from a First Amendment lawyer who had defended alt-right clients, it just said to me that they do not take seriously the position that we're in. They do not take us seriously as a minority religious group, and they do not take seriously the diminishment of their own rights, which they can see being taken away in the fact that we're not taken seriously in the courts or that we're treated differently than the majority religion or Christian nationalist claims. If you're starving and somebody offers you food, you don't ask them how they voted before you accept it. And I feel like we were in that situation of the starving client and a pro bono lawyer came forward and I did not ask him how he voted. It was completely new to me when people reached out and said that they felt that it was a bad look or there were bad optics to that or whatever. But it just, when people still go on with these types of things, even seeing Roe versus Wade overturned, it shows me that they just do not appreciate the dire situation we're in and that we are in the midst of a Christian nationalist coup and we have to fight back by any fucking means necessary. And we don't have time to submit, you know, functionaries, which is what a lawyer is, to these kinds of purity tests, you know. Absolutely. And, and plus, like, I, I don't know if I would trust a First Amendment lawyer who said they had standards that demanded that, you know, the 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 clients they take also reflect their values in all ways. Like, I, I think yeah. that is that is absolutely the position of the entitled and the uh, and the comfortable and coddled. They they do not they do not understand this as a war. This is a real battle, you know. And you know, we're losing. And we're losing because I think a lot of people have become very comfortable in the position that they can uh, take online. You know, for the most part, this whole idea of of canceling people and everything else, the, the preponderance of that, you know, leans heavily towards public shaming coming from left left wingers, you know, people on more progressive side of politics. And I think th- their, their uh, majority appeal has been mistaken for political capital when it's just not there. And they don't really understand why somebody isn't coming to their defense when they just go out on the street and wave signs that say somebody needs to take care of this for us. Whereas the Christian nationalists, they are a minority. You know, the majority of people within the United States agree that abortion should be legal. The majority of people agree that gay marriage is the law and it should be. And yet we have Clarence Thomas looking to overturn that as well. Now that we have this radicalized Christian nationalist Supreme Court in place, they are the minority, but they actually work at this. You know, they get up early, they vote, they go to the city council meetings, they run bill mills, they put together model legislation. And all we fucking do is cry online. And we don't only cry online against the enemy when we see that that has no effect on the enemy we begin to turn on each other and cannibalize one another and kill ourselves and shoot ourselves in the foot and subject everybody to purity tests. And in that way, we fucking lose again 
and again, and we let this minority totalitarian uprising get away with what it does when we do that. I'm so glad that you said all that, and I completely agree. And I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm glad that you expressed your, your frustration there. I don't know if you saw this article. If not, I'll send it to you. I've been talking about it for like the past three episodes straight, but it's called The Elephant in the Zoom, and it's from The Intercept by Ryan Grimm. And basically what he, what he points out is how at this crucial point in history, this really, really important, crucial moment in history where every month counts, every day counts, the nonprofit, progressive nonprofit space has been roiled in progressive purity spiral meltdowns to such a degree that they have been demobilized, that that these, you know, big, important uh, nonprofits that that do really important work, they are just completely demobilized at a point when the world needs them the most. And like an example is the Sierra Club, which is one of the like flagship. And I've this is all repeated from my last episode that I just did with Jonathan Rausch uh, about the Constitution of Knowledge. But you know, flagship, premier um, uh, 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 nonprofits like the Sierra Club, which has been at the forefront of climate action and does really important on the ground stuff. They were just put out of commission because they were so busy managing internal progressive meltdowns over right. things like identity and purity and who gets to say what and who right. gets to talk about what. And so I, I, I know people people talk to us about optics on these things all the time, but I feel like all we can do is press forward and hold to our principles, you know, yeah. and it's it's painful when you don't yield to ridiculous demands about whatever, whatever sounds good in the moment, but they're usually just power plays. But it has been gratifying to me to see that the Satanic Temple is not unique in that regard. I wasn't really aware of these things at the time where Jex suddenly, you know, if people saw the Hail Satan film, they see that Jex Blackmore was kicked out of TST earlier on for holding an event without telling us, inviting the documentary crew that was doing a documentary about the Satanic Temple without telling us, and then doing an event where she claimed that we, you know, some some uh, undisclosed we, uh, uh, according to her, not the Satanic Temple, were going to kidnap politicians and kill the president in we didn't need that on us. You know, we, we don't need somebody speaking for us in that yeah. regard and saying that kind of thing. So she had to go and we let her leave, um, you know, without making any public pronouncements that we had gotten rid of her. So she took that opportunity a couple months later to announce that she had left due to philosophical differences. And she claimed that those philosophical differences were us not respecting diversity and other such things that she had never brought up to us before and completely made up. And it was just meant to appeal to, you know, it was sounded a lot better than I was kicked out for being irresponsible. And, and you know, it, she turned it into, I took the higher moral ground, but we're so polarized at this point where people are afraid 
to even point out a lie like that. When the Hail Satan came out, it showed what actually happened, that she was thrown out and she was thrown out for her own irresponsibility. And what's interesting is, you know, around her disclosure that she left, you know, sprung up this conspiracy theory of the satanic temple actually being crypto fascist and things like that. And none of the people who latched on to that watched the documentary from what I saw and said, oh, it turns out she lied. You know, they stick to the narrative one way or the other. And that's what happens when you become part of this polarized environment. It becomes even the lies that that uh, substantiate the right narrative are, are not allowed to be called out as lies. And that's when you're in a really dangerous situation. You see people taking full advantage of that. They take full advantage of that polarization, being able to take any petty complaint they have and conflating it into something it never was to begin with, uh, making up claims that people aren't allowed to question, you know, because, uh, because then you're just in denial over the, uh, over the systemic oppression that's uh, at, at play here, whatever, uh, to the point, like I said, like uh, you have to accept as valid a lie one way or the other. And, you know, again, the Satanic Temple is not at all unique to, it, to this. I've spoken to other heads of nonprofits and organ in different organizations, and a lot of them are not willing to go on the record. They're, they're, they're still terrified of the backlash, but we're talking you know, organizations you'd recognize the names of, you know, that I've, I've spoken to, to people who've left in, in disappointment and despair because the exact same things happen with them. Somebody, some narcissist comes in for a power play and they know they don't have to do necessarily any work or be productive in any way, have any vision other than to elevate themselves. And they don't even have to belong to a marginalized identity group, you know, so long as they claim they're speaking for them, which they, they often do, you know, beware, beware the person who, who speaks on behalf of entire fucking people groups. Nothing annoys me more speaking as a gay person. Nothing annoys me more than every pride month. Now, every year this happens where, organizations and corporations and content creators and celebrities and all of these different people will be like the LGBTQ community is X or believes X or needs X. And I fucking hate that. Well, because yeah, it's or dehumanizing. they're a monolithic entity where no individual has agency. And we are we hardly agree with each other. Whenever I hear the term gay community, I'm like, what gay community? There are gay communities, but there is no yeah, that, single that was, gay that was community. That perplexing to me at first, because when we first started, one of the first things we we got press about was the pink mass. And that was in defense of, of gay rights. And this was before yeah. gay marriage was affirmed by the Supreme Court. And we get those outreach that outreach from people who said, you know, as a gay person, I, I really resent you trying to speak for me. And I'm in my my position was, well, we're not. We're speaking for Satanists. Exactly. Right? And exactly. it's like and, and I've I've lost my tolerance for it. I feel like I, I handled these things more delicately before, but we're not we're past that point now. Hmm. So when people 
will say to me that I can't understand what it means because I'm a white heterosexual man and I can't understand what it means to be part of a marginalized community. At this point, I have to say, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? How many people do you know that get the deluge of death threats that I get? How many people do you know that have a $100,000 bounty on their fucking head because of his religious identity? How many people do you know have people coming to his fucking house trying to light it on fire and kill him? You know, people talk about killing me all the fucking time for my religious identity. Who are you to tell me that I don't know what it's like to be fucking marginalized? And you can make the argument about historical marginalization, but I don't really think it's appropriate to play these games of who's more or less marginalized. There's just no place for it. We should be trying to build a world in which nobody has to deal with these types of things. You know, I agree. And you can say I had a choice to identify as a Satanist, but it's like you want to live in that world, too, where I'm coerced to make a choice to not identify the way I feel. What kind of downward spiral is that? I feel with every essence of my being that I'm a Satanist and it's essential that I identify as such. And for people to be that blasé about it and give me that treatment where it's like, well, you chose this life. I just have to say, fuck you. Also, what you know, what you were just saying there, one of the things that does worry me about a lot of these about a lot of these progressive meltdowns it really devalues the power of empathy and human connection human imagination human progress is based on this superpower that we have all literature all film all poetry all art is based on this superpower that we have to be able to understand even if we haven't experienced it even if we have never even if we have never walked in another person's shoes even if we have never had a uterus even if we've never been trans even if we've never been white or black or gay or straight or what have you we we have as the human species this superpower called empathy because we have these mirror neurons. It's it's how nature built us. I they do... actually call it mind reading. What's... Not in a psychic sense, but in being yeah. able to uh, divine what other people are thinking based upon their emotional output or yeah. physiological responses, that type of thing. And and I mean, we, we can understand. We m- maybe not perfectly, maybe not clearly, but we can understand. Otherwise... There would be no use in reading about the Holocaust. Otherwise, there would be no use in reading about the horrors of slavery, studying the horrors of slavery. We there would there would be no purpose to literature if we didn't have that capacity for empathy. And I do sometimes worry that what that when when people say you don't share this specific identity marker, therefore you can't understand. I I I, well, there's an I, irony in that because it assumes they understand what you have gone through and what you I mean, that's what I feel like I deal with when people say, well, you don't know what it's like to be part of a marginalized community. And I think, well, really, do you know what it means to be a Satanist, especially one in my position? Right. right? And if yeah. I can't know what it's like to be in anybody else's shoes, what makes you think you know exactly what my day to day is like? 
dealing with this shit. I mean, how much do you think you can handle like any listener? Like how, how, how do you think you would bear the weight of this kind of, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm living the life of somebody in a, in a witness relocation program. You know, I, I hold everything very close to my chest and people trying to dox every, every fun fact they can dig up about me 100% of the time, fully knowing that people are very invested in killing me as well, you know? And it's certainly not just me by any stretch of the imagination. You know, we had our Idaho congregation recently try to get involved with Idaho Pride, and they eventually pulled out due to all the threats against them, a local uh, conservative rag trying to dox one of the uh, one of the congregation heads uh, to make things more dangerous. And eventually at that same event, the uh, after TST had pulled out, but uh, TST probably uh, probably inspired uh, this group to show up. This group Patriot Front came armed and, and got nabbed and arrested before they could cause violence. But apparently their their plan was to was to disrupt the event in in some violent fashion. And given all the publicity surrounding the prospective presence of the satanic temple, it seemed like the, the focus was was largely on that. So, you know, it's something a lot of the active membership deal with, you know, and in some ways I have it better because I'm in Massachusetts, because I'm in a liberal place, because I'm considered a good neighbor in, uh, in Salem that, uh, and, and business owner that, that people, people respect over here, you know, but we have congregations in rural red state areas where people are highly offended by their presence and will do anything to keep them from engaging in any type of activities, public or private, so long as it's happening anywhere in their proximity. And that hangs over everybody's head. We are a marginalized minority religious identity, and it would be hard to argue anything different. I don't know how how we don't fit that definition. No, absolutely. And I just want to always run in the in the direction of empathy. So whenever anyone says you can't understand because X, because I'm white, because I'm male, because I'm whatever. That, well, you, can, you can try. You I, exactly. Can try. Exactly. And nobody should shit on you for trying. Exactly. And that brings me back to your original point when you were saying, you know, a couple of non-uterus people talking about pregnancy. It's like, I, I'm not really feeling that anymore. I used to apologize for that. I used to apologize sure. for that when I would debate politicians on abortion rights and things like that. I would say, like, I, I happen to be the guy here, you know, that's it. Sure. That's taking on this this topic. It, but now I just find it. I just honestly, I just find it so inappropriate now. I, I find it to be it's it's to me. It just it honestly feels uh, complacent and, and entitled to 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 feel like you can pick and choose your allies to the, to that degree of uh, uh, of uh, filtering. You know, that you, you mm. want the the perfect picture of whatever, you know, anytime something is addressed, you know, we need all hands on deck at this point. And I'm one of those people. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I'm so glad that you interjected when you did. Um, and the 
the sentence that I was going to finish is <laughs> the the sentence that I was going to finish there was, you know, even though we don't have uteruses, we aren't of childbearing potential. Uh, and I hesitate to talk about it because of that. However, we this is this is bigger and this affects everyone. The 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 decline of Roe v. Wade, uh, the the reversal, the death of Roe v. Wade affects every single person regardless of their identity, not least because it takes two to tango, not least because men, uh, males are involved in the act of procreation, you know, that there is a connection there, but also because this affects privacy, this affects s- uh, sexual freedom, this this prote- th- this affects autonomy, this could affect gay marriage, right? This is, this is big. There's never, nothing is ever an island, you know, to quote John Donne, no man is an island entire of himself. Every scene, this affects all of us. And I do want to I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm the kind of, you know, hand wringing, milk toast, annoying progressive who does care about things like, you know, the language I use and people having adequate voice, you know, you know, pe- not, not speaking on behalf of others and all that kind of stuff. You know, I like, I'm, I don't want to dominate a space that, that where, where it is, uh, women who are primarily affected. Um, and I and I don't want to, you know, be the mansplaining male like that. That matters. That's important. It it but it affect it does affect all of us. And you brought up gay marriage in in your thing. So I'm gay, and I guess one of the questions that I wanted to I don't know first respond to that if you have any thoughts about that before I go on to gay marriage. I was just thinking, you know, that tired old uh, whatever you would call it that that little uh, digression where they they. Like to say, you know, first they came for the gays, and and uh, oh, first and they I, I, and I wasn't a gay, or first no, first they yeah, came, and first I they came gay, for so the socialists, and then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing yeah. because I'm not Jewish. And then by the time they came for me, there was nobody, nobody to defend me or whatever. I think that should be altered slightly to say like first they came from the gays, but I'm not gay, so I couldn't say anything on their behalf. <laughs> you know yes you know exactly. then they came for roe v wade and i don't have a uterus so i couldn't say anything about that and then you know by the time they came for me what could i fucking say right well and and here's the thing about that i i am to my core an enlightenment liberal and i don't mean liberal in the political sense i mean liberal in the annoying philosophical classical sense in that I believe that the two most fundamental identities, the two most important identities is the individual and our universal shared humanity. Those are the two most fundamental and important identities. And then there's that whole spectrum in the middle of nationality, religion, male, female, trans, gay, straight, person of color, all of that stuff, all of that, all of the stuff in the middle. But at the end of the day, our rights and our ability to cohere as a community and as a society and as a culture and as a civilization rely on acknowledging those two polarities as the most fundamental and most important features of what it means to be human. Uh, We are an individual, first and foremost, who are afforded individual rights, and we are 
We have a shared human experience, which means that no matter how we look or how we talk or whatever, there's, there's something fundamentally same. There, there is something fundamentally similar that allows for empathy across the board, right? right. And one thing that does worry me about the emphasis on those interstitial identities is what you just talked about is what you just said is um it 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 silences us in a way that that keeps people from from being able to vouch for one another and yes you know people always need to be careful about how they say things and people need to be careful to not speak over others all of that still holds but i really like how you reframed that you know, they they came for Roe v. Wade, but I didn't say anything because I didn't have a uterus. <laughs> they they came for the gays, but I didn't say anything because I wasn't gay. I I fucking it's also love that. True that it doesn't stop there, and I think I, I'm also fed up with people still acting like the things that we have done had been pranks. Like Me too. We, we've tolerated the narrative for a long time that it all started as a prank, and then stuff got serious, and they act like. Still to this day, the Baphomet Monument campaign was some kind of prank, and it's not. At this point, you should see these are all intertwined. You know, we have a lot of people who still hold up in God we trust being on the currency as giving exclusive license to the Christian viewpoint when it comes to legislating people's morals, lifestyles, censoring material, or whatever else. And you know, that a Ten Commandments monument standing exclusively unopposed without any pluralistic exercise of equal access is also going to be utilized as evidence that we are a Christian nation. This is our heritage and history. And I think that's what they were really trying to express with those Ten Commandments bills is that justification that this is our heritage and history and this is who we are. And that emboldens them further to make their arguments to overturn Roe v. Wade, which they have done now. Uh, Clarence Thomas was very clear in his concurrence in Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade that he wants to revisit questions of gay marriage and gender identity and and other types of things that the theocrats see as rolling back from some idyllic time where things were so much better somehow, you know, back to the authoritarian rule of, of, well, I mean, it's not even going back. You know, they're 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 talking about a, a fictitious past that that never was before, but trying to roll us back to a new dark age. And it's not it's not going to stop. And with inflation, we ha- really stand a solid chance of having a Republican sweep in the next rounds of election. And then you're going to see the theocratic coup made manifest very real. You're going to see, I think, I think we're potentially right now within four to five years of anti-blasphemy laws that are going to be framed as, you know, anti, anti-religious hate speech laws. And, you know, uh, there's a, a, a population on the left that is trying desperately to enable that as well. I, I was very confused during the Trump administration when we saw so much anti-free speech rhetoric from the left because it showed to me a kind of delusional sense of process and who were you appealing to at that point? You know, the Trump administration was in office. Who do you want regulating speech right now? How do you think that's going to turn out? There just, just seems to be just 
very little sense of how these things can turn around and bite you in the ass. And I, and I'm not going to be happy to say, I told you so when we're dealing with those anti-blasphemy laws, I'm not going to like it one bit. You know, I was just talking about this with Jonathan Rausch on last week's show. He's this legendary gay activist and journalist and author of the Constitution of Knowledge. Honestly, it's one of it. It hasn't come out yet as of this recording, but it will by the time this this recording drops. And it's one of my, I think, favorite interviews that I've ever done in all the five years of this show. But he said in that conversation that the thing that breaks his heart the most is the minority left turn against the principle of free speech because without free speech, the left is nothing and minorities are nothing. We have nothing. And I have a very vested interest as a gay Satanist to protect free speech. And it is like you. I mean, I was just absolutely fucking you know, mind blown, you know, just just blown away by this skepticism of free speech as somehow right wing and authoritarian and capitalist and and that it only enables the powerful and so on and so forth. Yeah. Fr- Frederick Douglass explicitly disagreed with that position. Yes, and so I did. So say, did I feel like he yeah. had it a bit worse than than any of us. And so did John and, Lewis uh, and the early civil rights movement, like those civil and, rights and pioneers. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, yep. was was also very explicitly a free speech advocate. So was Gandhi. Like I think it it shows a, a complete ignorance of history to act like. I, I mean, up into you know the the 1960s, the rights revolution, the free speech movement in Berkeley was very much a a hippie left-wing thing. You know, this development of free speech as being seen as a right-wing value is not only entirely incorrect because we see the the hypocrisy on the right whenever they see material they don't like, but it's it's also, yes, it is heartbreaking to see the left kind of fall for it. And I, I honestly think it's, it's going to bite them in the ass and we're going to see a manifestation of anti-blasphemy laws if the Republicans sweep again. You know, Trump's Numbers are are going down, but uh, DeSantis's are going up, and you know oh he might God, he might DeSantis be worse. He's, he's smarter than Trump, which is terrible. But he's he's very much a theocrat, and I could see things going really sour, really fast. And we need to we need to calibrate and and figure out what what our values are. Well, and you know that's that's what I've always been so afraid of. The most merciful thing about Trump was that he was so fucking stupid, right? Right. the The best thing about Trump is that he 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 was basically a toddler. Where you know toddlers are are grandiose, despotic sociopaths, but they're so fucking stupid and tiny that they can't actually do any damage. So, so Trump was like a a toddler who was. I actually I don't actually actually I think that isn't giving him enough credit. I think he's he is smarter than I'm painting here, but he wasn't smart enough and he wasn't effective at at actually succeeding in in creating a theocratic rule. Well, no, that's not true either because he put in place the Supreme Court. But all that said, the the really scary thing about Trump is that he laid the groundwork for someone smarter than him to come along. He he it's like he has culturally laid the groundwork for for a theocrat 
who has the brains to actually get something done. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. I, I, I keep thinking that as this plays out, everybody thinks we've seen the worst of it. And I, I still have that fear that people don't understand that Dobbs is not the end. It's just the beginning of things potentially a whole lot worse. And yeah. like I said, you know, inflation being what it is traditionally does not favor an incumbent at all. And if the Democrats are stupid enough to run Biden again, I think it's all that much worse because I think really the only way the Democrats can do well in this kind of environment of inflation and with an aged out president like the one we have is to run somebody else, you know, in what would be Biden's second term. But the Democrat Party is is really pretty shitty overall, I think. I, I mean, in, in a rational world, I think they would be our worst option, right? But they're orders of magnitude better than the Republican Party. I don't uh, I don't buy that bullshit for a minute that, you know, they're on equal equal standing at all. You know, we're, we're fighting for our lives against the Republicans, you know, we're fighting for some kind of some kind of action and competence from the uh, from the Democrats, you know, which is which is far better than dealing with the insults to our democracy that we've had from the Republican Party. But I would very much like to see, you know, a third party, a fourth party, the complete dissolution of the Republican Party. But I think the two party system has been entirely debunked in these circumstances. When you have all the deliberation falling along party lines, you know, I think the introduction of more parties is absolutely necessary to completely necessitate negotiation and in crosstalk, you know, and with the two party system as it is now, we're not we're not going to see that, I don't think, ever again. Yeah, everyone go read the Constitution of Knowledge, where Jonathan Rausch talks about systems of compromise that enable a genuine progressive forward movement and that don't just enable compromise but require hard disagreement and somehow finding in the middle uh, meeting in the middle and and creating a system that enables that that's what we need is a system that actually enables you know that kind of forward movement and and away from theocracy i'm going to be uh grifting for jonathan rausch's book by the way for the rest of time on this podcast, so all of you can just get used to it. It, So you might as well just get it over with and go ahead and read it. I wanted to bring up gay marriage. I don't know enough about law. I I meant to ask, you know, I because of TST, I have, you know, lawyer friends. Steven, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. How, How concerned should we be about the decline of gay marriage? Or, or the the reversal of gay marriage. How? Because there are there are, again there are already people saying no, we shouldn't be worried. This is fine. And I'm looking I'm looking at like the thing that Clarence Thomas wrote the the opinion that he wrote, and I'm like I'm not understanding why we shouldn't be concerned. <laughs> I don't understand why somebody wouldn't be concerned either. I am yeah. very concerned, and that they are emboldened, and uh, you know Clarence Thomas knew that there was going to be outrage over over Dobbs, over the overturn of Roe v. Wade, Hmm. and took that as an opportunity to signal what's coming next. And there is absolutely no reason to not take them seriously on that. If if somebody thinks that after overturning Roe v. Wade, that questioning or, or overturning 
the right to gay marriage is is still somehow off the table you're insane you're delusional you ha- yeah. you're, you're not accepting the world that we're in right now you're not you're you're blind to what's happening around you so what's the path and I, I feel like i'm in this twilight zone world where you know i'm surrounded by people who just don't get it just don't get that this is happening and I feel like we saw it coming a long ways away. I think other people feel like we just happened to be here when shit got serious and we've laughed our way to this point the whole time. But I feel like we saw it 10 years ago when we started doing what we were doing. And it was that serious and vital for us back then. We, we saw the writing on the wall. And, and now this is where it's turned out. And I used to I used to talk about this, you know, earlier on with the Satanic Temple and People kind of brush it off as kind of a bit a bit hysterical and a bit radical, you know, and, and now here we are. Yeah, no, I've been talking about it forever on the podcast as well. And yeah, so what do we do? What's what's the path forward? Because we're in this for the long haul. So what are strategies moving forward to uh, as, as individuals and collectively? Well, we have to stop with that bullshit where, you know, we keep we keep saying you can't fix a system from within the system or you can't change the system from within the system. And, you know, I keep telling people at this point, like, that's what we just fucking saw. We saw. Yes. A theocratic coup from the Doing inside it from within. Work within the system and completely undermine entrenched constitutional democratic norms to their liking and we need to play the long game like they do you know if you're not uh putting if you're not mobilizing the armed insurrection against the right right now and you're just hashtagging it or you're going out and waving a sign you're essentially not doing anything you're using the politics of shame against the shameless you know and that's what causes i think the left to turn against itself. They see that the strongest weapon they have, that type of shame, doesn't actually work against their opposition. You know, so they have to they, they have to attack people who 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 are ashamed by by being uh being uh you know labeled in some some way that calls them alt-right or whatever else. But we really need to start focusing on on what the opposition is actually doing rather than niggling about, you know, what we're doing with each other or, you know, whether somebody made a made, made a careless Twitter post, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. There just isn't the time for that right now. There just isn't the room for that kind of thing right now. You know, there just is no place for those purity politics. And we need to be willing to give people the room to change their point of view, to come around to our way of thinking get on the right side and work with us. You know, it doesn't matter if they tick all the boxes of, of fulfilling all the requirements for, you know, being in some part of uh, some perfect picture of, you know, a variety of marginalized identities or whatever. We need everybody we can get. And we need to start doing those tedious things like going to the city council meetings, going to the school board meetings, in opposing those theocrats. These theocrats have been doing that at the local level for generations now, mm-hmm. you know, well, more and more people on the left have just disregarded these kinds of politics and felt comfortable in the majority position they're in. 
And like I said earlier, you know, we've seen that being in the majority doesn't really help us anymore. You know, they've been installing people in politics. They've been putting judges in place. And it's going to take a long time if we can fix this at all. You know, if we can get back to a point where there like deliberation and democracy is uh, is is respected enough that we can count on uh, somebody within the system to use the system to help save the system. You know, we need to be there to do that. And I think a democratic system is still the best system to do that. It's like science. You know, it's supposed to be a self-correcting system. It's supposed to be open to deliberation. It's supposed to be amenable to conflict so that we can resolve those conflicts. And it might not be a perfect system, but it seems to work a whole lot better than any of the alternatives that have been presented so far. And we need to fight to defend that. We need to fight to defend that now, you know, and and it needs to start happening immediately. And people really need to get engaged. And people just really don't seem to have tolerance for the long game like that. But if they don't, we're going to lose and we're going to keep losing and it's going to get a whole lot worse. And it's still going to get worse before it gets better, you know, but if it's ever going to get better at all, we need to take this shit seriously now. Yeah. And, you know, the right falls into fucking line with their goals. And so we just can't afford to uh, they get up early. They vote. The Christian nationalists don't care if you're Mormon or if you're Catholic and they're Protestant and things like they they set that shit aside for now. And they're making the the most uh, horrific gains that we could possibly imagine because of it. Yeah. And I, it, I think it's worth dwelling, by the way, on that point you just made. Catholics and Protestants being able to put aside their differences for a political cause. These that is like a conflict 600 years in, uh, that, that goes back literally centuries and has been violent and bloody. And there's still a lot of animosity between Catholics and Protestants. They're able to put that shit aside. And if they're able to do it, then fucking hell, you know, socialists and social Democrats and liberals are able to do it. (laughs) Right. right. We have zero excuse. Things are so bad right now. I I have a friend who was attending a class at, at Harvard where, uh, Bernie Sanders was a guest speaker mm-hmm. and people were decrying him as a fascist oh my because God. he didn't support defund the police. And oh honestly, you're not going to get anywhere with that kind of attitude where when you can't even even express skepticism towards a tactic as being the best way to reach a common goal. Yeah, that's you know, right. then then you, there's there's no hope. So people really need to get get past that shit. I mean, it, it also reminds me that reminds me when people were when, when Twitter just lit up with controversy because Bernie Sanders and I was a Bernie guy. I, I fucking love Bernie. But uh, when the Internet just lit up with controversy because Bernie Sanders had the gall to appear on Joe Rogan's podcast. And it's like, how dare he how dare he associate with someone like Joe Rogan? And I'm just sitting here like. Do you want to win or not? If you want to win, you have to get votes. The way you get votes is by appealing to a broad audience. No one has a broader audience on the internet in podcast land than Joe Rogan. Like, 
get with the fucking program. You, do you want to win or do you want to to be, you know, or or do you want to to, you know, be better than Joe Rogan? <laughs> or you'll feel you this sense of superiority. Your, your primary candidate and take your ball and go home and allow it to be the theocrat if you don't get that, you know, right. like Right. Yeah, I mean, we're just in two desperate. I understand the frustration of having to pick the lesser of two evils, but the lesser evil is much less of an evil. And of course, when I speak about political candidates and stuff like that, I'm not speaking on behalf of the organization. The organization, you know, as a member, you can vote however way you want, just because I don't understand how it might fit in with this this philosophy in any way whatsoever and find it completely out of line, hmm. you know. Um, the fact of the matter is we are IRS recognized and I can't as a spokesperson for the organization endorse. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually, because I'm views one way or the other. So I, I do need to, to specify in that regard, like, you know, yeah. vote for who you want to vote for. And my personal opinions on this are are completely personal. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I have to specify that too because I'm a minister. So I, right. I am, I am not in any way telling people how to vote. I am, I am. This is my individual, my individual thoughts. Um, ditto everything Lucian just said. So for, I, I think a lot of Satanists are are feeling a bit frightened for their safety. You know, after the uh, the arson attempt, and now with this very aggressive assault on bodily autonomy. So what advice do you have for Satanists to to uh, go about their lives in maybe a, a, a safe way so that they can feel secure? Yeah, I mean, to, to be clear, I would advise safety, and you're not going to hear me trying to downplay it. I, I'm not going to offer any words of comfort here. Take it seriously. There are yeah. people who want to hurt us, and there are people who are going to start acting on these things, and people are feeling more and more emboldened. And, you know, the Supreme Court is doing everything it can to widen the rift between the polarized opposites on the culture war while arming everybody at the same time. And I do yep. think things are going to get ugly and I can't really tell people how to respond to their own personal circumstances, but I wouldn't take any risks. With that said, the more of us there are openly identifying, the better off we are in general. But if there's any fear you have, you know, uh, you keep it out of your workplace, keep it out of your, your local community to the best you can. Use the pseudonyms. I know people always shit on us and act like there's something nefarious about the use of pseudonyms. Fuck them. Use a pseudonym. It's very obvious why we do, you know, and if you're not me, you know, you, you probably do have the liberty of not engaging in real time and putting your face on uh, news broadcasts and things like that. I never really did understand our narcissists who were very desperate to get in front of the cameras. I don't I, they usually don't have uh, good outcomes in the organization anyways, but uh, they, they clearly don't understand the situation as it stands. So, you know, maintain your anonymity the best you can. But, you know, now is not the time to be inactive either, you know. And there are a lot of things you can do to uh, ensure your the security of your data and, and your, your safety online from being doxxed and other such things. And I, I believe, uh, 
you know, I was going to work on a project with somebody in ministry to put together some guidelines for the rest of ministry to maybe convey to other people uh, as to how they can conduct their online affairs in such a way that reveals the least about you and, and makes you less trackable by the public at large. And, and that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Use a VPN. Let's just start there, you know, <laughs> start using a VPN. And uh, yeah, I think that's good advice. And I do want to have more conversations about how to be safe and how to protect your privacy and how to protect your data and all of that. So you can look forward to more conversations like that, where I will have some experts on to talk about that. So that that will be forthcoming. This is a great conversation. Is there anything else that that you think is important to add before we wrap up? Nah, you know, I don't think much about stuff. So I'm just kind of <laughs> just kind of taking things as they come. Very good. And, and responding to them in real time as we as we chat here. That but is you know, you can always reach out for follow up or or whatever. I'm I'm always available. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, dear listeners, if you have any follow-up questions, if you have any thoughts that you would like to share, please let me know in the Discord server or in the comments for this post on my website, stephenbradfordlong.com. And um, yeah, and Lucian will be back. He He's uh, on every couple of months or so. All right. And it's my pleasure to come on. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you enjoy these appearances and that it isn't a chore. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. It's, it's about as social as I get anymore. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that, okay, well, on that oh, very... Oh, well, one thing I should mention is we are yes. having an in-person movie night on, uh, on August 3rd in, in Salem. So uh, be on the lookout for uh, tickets going on sale for that. Absolutely. That sounds great. All right. Well, I think that is it for this show. The music is called Wild by Eleventy Seven. You can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and it is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. 